America, my name is Aramiose Frimpong, and you are watching The Black Athenians. I come to you every Friday wherein I talk about a quality of politics that you might not get everywhere. And I will tell you right now, you are going, not going to get this insight anywhere in these United States um, except for on this show. So you're going to have to, to uh, send it out to all your friends or whatever because it's going to be unlike anything you've ever seen. And with that, I'll just tell you, I had this nice show all planned out and I taped it and everything. And uh, it was about infinity and politics and what it means. And then Trump got COVID. And so I am going to give you this show instead. It's going to clarify what that means and what it doesn't mean. Because honestly, it's just a little bit gossipy. It's really none of our business, but it's not obvious that it's none of our business. It's also not obvious that the right to privacy only came around about 110 years ago. Uh, Louis Brandeis wrote a piece about 135 years ago about, you know, the right to privacy is a good idea and you need uh, a sphere where nobody messes with you in order to be free. And then when he was a, 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 a Supreme Court justice, he kind of, you know, wrote opinions in this way. And now we have a right to privacy that's enshrined in a... Um, in, uh, in, in SCOTUS precedent, but even more importantly, we have a legislative uh, archive that has built entire legislation off the idea that there is such a thing as a right to privacy, which means that not everybody gets to know all of your business, which is very important, I think, for a few reasons. One, I mean, it's not only the foundation for HIPAA, which is the reason why your doctors don't go putting your business out in the street. It's also the foundation for FERPA, which is why none of my students Parents can email me and say, hey, how is, uh, you know, Tiffany doing in class? To which I will say, that's between you and Tiffany. I'm not going to tell you because she, Tiffany has rights. And it's also the case in, uh, I mean, it's the foundation for Roe v. Wade. I don't think it should be a foundation for Roe v. Wade. I think uh, it's a dicey foundation for Roe v. Wade. But in general, um, you know, we built entire institutions off of the right to privacy, a right that was just kind of thought through. About 115, 100, uh, 110 years ago, it was probably enshrined, but 135 years ago, Brandeis wrote uh, his, you know, his pamphlet on the right to privacy. So what are rights such that they can just kind of emerge and then get enshrined into law and just kind of stick because they make sense? I will go into that after I hit the opening. Never change the ways for the world or the government If it was the president, then I would state facts You leave it up to me, I'll paint the White House black And it can feature in your front Change the ways for the world or the government If it was the president, then I would state facts You leave it up to me, I'll paint the White House black And it can feature in your front So what are rights? Rights are, uh, they emerge as the realization of freedom. That's, that's what the right is. Everyone asks, it's like, what is it? What, what are rights anyway? They are the realization of freedom. That means they cannot be found in something that's not itself freedom. You can't base rights on nature. You can't base rights on, on convention. For example, let's take the freedom of speech, right? The freedom of speech, you can't say, well, the freedom of speech is good because it's always been around. No, that's not a, that's not a justification of right. 
You need to talk about how the freedom of speech allows for the realization of freedom. If you're not talking about that, you're just giving a conventional excuse. And that's kind of trash because we have a lot of conventions in the United States where if justice is going to come for black people, it's going to come with overthrowing those conventions. Even doesn't matter how long they've been around. Right. So when you talk about the Second Amendment, you can't just talk about, well, it's always been there. No, you need to talk about how the Second Amendment is the realization of freedom. There are right. There are arguments you can give in this vein, but just saying that it's on the books and has been on the books is fundamentally insufficient if you're serious about well, freedom and the stuff of rights. Right. So rights are the realization of freedom. They can't be found in convention. They also can't be found in nature. Nature is not itself free. It's actually the opposite of freedom. We don't know that because the United States is a bit of a garden. Like we, like we think we're in nature when we go outside, but everything in the United States has been domesticated. My, like my dad's from Africa where it's not domesticated and nature is what kills you. Um, so, you know, you spent three generations getting here where there's, you know, air conditioned and uh, the panes of glass between you and nature. Like nature is out there. But there's not even nature in the United States. What we call national parks are really just gardens. If there's anything really that was going to kill you, uh, and nature has stuff that kills you, if there's anything really that was going to kill you in the national park, they would kill it because that's what nature is for. Like nature, um, real nature as it's given has nothing to do. It's completely independent with uh, completely independent of freedom. It's not like the gazelle running across the savannas, like living its natural life, and as the lion, like it's not like you're seeing like something morally interesting when the lion. Like, like takes its hindquarters out. Um, that's nature. Nature is trying to kill you. COVID is nature. Cancer is nature. Like the, uh, we have entire industries that are um, organized in order to destroy nature because nature is a problem for us. In fact, you know, there's a website out there. I haven't actually seen it, but I know it exists. There's a website out there that tells you, like, what cities would look like in 10, 15, 30 years if we just let nature do its thing. Yeah, in 25 years, I don't even know if you have an Athens, Georgia. I'm in Athens, Georgia right now. I don't even know if you have an Athens, Georgia right now. I'm pretty sure that the roots would make the buildings implode and, like, trees would take over and vines would take down. Like, it doesn't take long. And, and Georgia's in a, uh, what do you call it, the tropical zone. So it wouldn't take long for nature just to, like, reclaim um, so the idea that nature is somehow the source of rights is ridiculous. It, it comes with a naive and romantic version of nature, and it, like only an American can think of this. A lot of my students, one of the big problems is they read Thoreau in high school, and they're told that nature is full of peace and all of that stuff, and it's where you go to relax. No, it's where you go. Like, nature doesn't care if you eat. Nature doesn't care if you fall and die. Like, no, institutions with rights uh, respect your rights. Nature has no respect for your rights. You cannot bargain with a tiger. Look, look, you got to understand that, again, my dad's in Africa. There are places where like ants, I'll tell you, ants come in swarms and waves and they just slowly roll over your entire village and will eat everything. You have to pick up your stuff and leave the village for three days because the ants have come. And if you don't leave, like if you leave a cow or a chicken out when the ants come, you'll come back and all you'll see is like clean bones where the cow used to be because the ants will have like just wafted through. That's nature. Nature's indifferent to your dignity, your plans, your aspirations, the stuff of freedom. Because a lot of freedom is about being able to make and realize plans. Nature does not care about your plans. 
So this idea that you can find rights by just doing what's natural has a very naive notion about what nature entails and its purposes. Everything you have right now has already been like, everything you deal with has already been domesticated by the human will. Like everything you interact with has already been manicured for you. Thankfully, we don't want to go back to nature. We want a better industrial process and domestication process that doesn't uh, lead to like industrial pollution that will end up, uh, you know, also frustrating the human will. But the goal of this world is to allow for freedom, not nature, because nature doesn't matter. We just don't want to screw up our relationships with nature such that we end up undermining the conditions for human freedom that come from, you know, working with nature, conforming nature to our uh, means. So, yes, human, uh, so rights will not be found in something that's other than rights. That means they will not be found in conventions, but received wisdom, that things we just happen to receive. And they will not be found in nature, uh, which means there's no such thing as human rights. Right? So, because the designation human is a, is a species designation. To be a human is all you need to do is, uh, you know, I mean according to like the biological definition, be able to reproduce with fertile offspring with other humans. But that's not exactly what being a human is. That's not where, I mean, that's what being a human is, but that's not what being like a meaningful person is, a meaningful individual is. Right? Being a meaningful individual is having your rights, having your, you know, aspirations respected and being able to realize them. And that doesn't happen because of your species. That happens because you're around people who can, um, who are themselves free and can forswear their natural desires in order to respect your rights, right? For example, it doesn't matter how, um, right? So there's a reason why you don't want to live with a meth addict, right? There's a reason why you don't want to live with a meth addict. Why don't you want to live with a meth addict, Irony? You don't want to live with a meth addict because sometimes when they want meth, they'll steal from you to go get meth. Right? So you don't really have property rights if you live with a meth addict because the, the meth is in control. You need to be with a free person if, um, if you want to be, actually have rights, have your rights respected. Because a free person can forswear their desires in order, out of respect for you. Right? So the difference between you and a free person is a free person can forswear their desires out of respect for you. And that's why with a free person, you can be different kinds of things. For example, um, if I'm with a tiger, the tiger is not going to forswear its desire to eat me in order to respect my rights. However, if I am with a person, no matter how hungry they are, they will not start nibbling on me. Unless you're, there's a famous case, um, called, I think it's Regina and Dudley Stevens. Dudley Stevenson? Dudley Stevens? Dudley Stevenson? Anyway, it's about four, uh, four British people. Um, one of our, they're marooned on the waters and, uh, they think they're going to die. One of them, the cabin boy, it's always the servant. Watch this. The cabin boy drinks a little bit of seawater, gets sick, and then they draw lots, uh, deciding on whether they're going to eat him. They ended up deciding to eat him. They ate him and then were saved and were like, well, we, we kind of did this thing before you saved us. Cause we didn't know when you were going to save us. And then they were tried for murder because, you know, they killed and ate the cabin boy. And then what happened was they were found guilty, but then they were acquitted because it turns out that apparently it's okay to eat the cabin boy. for. Uh, they were found guilty because we're British people and we don't eat people. 
But um, then they were the punishment was suspended, right? Because you know extenuating circumstances. But they were found guilty because you know the British colonialists don't colonists don't actually they were colonialists don't eat people. But that's anyway. We have the ability to forswear our natural desires in order to respect rights, in order to respect the willings of other people. All right, I'm going to go through one more. Uh, um, time, yes, I'm going to go through one more analogy before I uh, make the hard argument against human rights. All right, let's say you were dropped. Let's say you were dropped. Oh, I guess two more. Let's say you were dropped in the middle of a football game, but nobody told you the rules of the game. They blew whistles at you and punished, but for the most part, you were just dropped in the middle of an NCAA, uh, NCAA Division I Georgia Dogs football game, but nobody told you the rules of football. You knew that if you did well. You would get honor and money, but nobody told you the rules, so you couldn't really press them. Everybody else knew the rules. You didn't really, you could kind of figure out when and how to hit people, but there was never any like understanding of how one type of hit was illegal and the other one was perfectly appropriate. They were just kind of going off induction. You were just seeing what they did last time and hoping that you understood and interpreted everything so that you could go forth with how you do it. Nobody explained the rules, everybody else. But that means you can't really press the ref. Right? You don't know the rules of the game. So in order to have rights within the game, you kind of need to know the rules of the game and know how to realize them. Because if you don't, and everybody else does, you're not really playing um, the same game they are because you're just acting like you think things, like you think the world works, whereas everybody else knows how the world works. And if it doesn't work the way they know it is, they can go to the ref and make it right. Whereas you can't do that because anytime you go to the ref, like it's just with a guess. Um, and yeah, so there's a way in which you're not free unless you know all of your rights. So you have to know your rights. Colin Kaepernick was right that much. You know your rights, but you also have to know how to realize them. It doesn't matter if you know your rights. It's like having a right to a, a car that's in a remote parking lot, like, you know, over there. That's great. It's your property, <laughs> but you can't, like, you can't drive it, right? Or knowing your rights. Um, I mean, we have something like 95% of, of criminal cases end up in plea bargains. It's not because people don't know their rights. It's because they can't realize them because they don't have access to, like, lawyers. doesn't matter how much you know, you know your rights if you don't have the resources and power to actually realize them. So you not just need to know your rights. You need to actually have access to realize your rights. These are important things. And um, so there's kind of a, there's a derivative right to education. In order to, in order to actually press your rights, you need to know them and be able to, to, to realize them. And, and whatever institution is governing you has then generates an obligation to somehow enculturate you into knowing and being able to press them. All right, so in order to realize yourself in the world, you need to be able, there's a, a quality of education that's, that's required, either through culture or, you know, somehow the particular positive rights that we've just kind of made up, our legislature has made up the fact that there are 50 senators and not 52 or um, 435 representatives and not 330 representatives. Those kind of things have to be taught to you, right? So you have a right to that insofar as you know, but those are, 
that's not a human right. That's a right you need to participate in, as a citizen in America. Um, and you have different rights as a civilian, as a particular person, like uh, fulfilling their particular interest in civil society. And you have a different rights as a spouse. That's as a member of a unit that, that where the other person's immediately concerned with you and you're immediately concerned with them. So there's like one flesh. That's a different than your rights with the, the, sp the rights you have with your spouse are structured differently than the rights you have with your, uh, uh, because a part of a different institution are different than the rights you have with your car salesman. Your car salesman, that's a different kind of freedom. When I explain this to kids in class, there's, uh, you, know, you know, they're all dating and figuring out if they should break up with their girlfriend or boyfriend. So it's really easy to say, like, there's the kind of right you have. I mean, there's a the kind of freedom you have in a uh, committed relationship and the kind of freedom you have in, like, when you're just kind of hanging out and you hook up sometimes and you don't hook up sometimes and you're just kind of free to hook up with other people. Like, those are both freedom, but they're distinct. And the one doesn't uh, reduce to the other. You can't collapse one and others. So these things get... Um, uh, codified when you talk about the distinction between, uh, you know, freedom in the family versus freedom in civil society. But it's kind of the same notion that they did two distinct kind of freedoms, but they're both freedom insofar as they are a way of realizing the will. One, immediately in the family where the other person's like immediately concerned with you and you are immediately concerned with them. And then the other one, uh, it's mediated. Me and the car salesman where like I can just do what I want and I'm supposed to chase my self-selected aim, and they're supposed to, you know, try to get money out of me, and it's all kind of a wash, <laughs> washed out by the competition in the market. And so the whole system is free, even though I don't have to think about them. When this kind of freedom, I do have to think about them. It only depends on me thinking about them, and them th knowing that them th they're thinking about me. So, but they're both kinds of freedom. They can be realized in two different institutions. So freedom is realized not as a matter of convention and not as a matter of, of, of nature, but as a matter of institutions where we both know our institutional roles. Um, and a peculiar kind of institutions that we've willed into being. So in order to be free and in order to have rights, you need to have a mind that recognizes institutions and a will that can realize your aspirations within institutions, while also having a will that is free and not governed by a pathology that can accommodate other people's aspirations within these institutions. This is why if a spaceship were to land, spaceship, land in you know, the local stadium, just land in the local stadium and someone asked you, hey, why don't you, here's a crisp $100 bill, why don't you go talk to the aliens for us? You would probably say no. You would probably say no because you don't know what kind of institutions are governing your relationship with the aliens. You don't know if they think of you as a god. You don't know if they think of you as an equal. You don't know if they think of you as a cockroach. You do know that they have the kind of technology that can land a spaceship in the middle of your park. So I don't know what to tell you, but there's a reason like you might not want to be the first contact there. And there are some actually fascinating stories about uh, colonial contact just because you know, people don't know, like, are you basically, you're basically dangerous to me. And, and if you're free, that makes you even more dangerous because you might be dangerous in creative ways <laughs> because they're not determined by nature. So like these first contact stories are like, I don't know how to deal with you. And, you know, maybe the Native Americans zigged when they should have zagged when they, when they dealt with the Europeans. Might have, might, 
might could have let him starve. Might have been better for the for the descendants. I don't know. But those are the same. It's the same problem. We don't know how you're going to recognize me under this institution. So I don't actually know if I'm free. Like that's not going to be an institution of freedom if I don't, if I can't depend on your recognition. Right. So what it is to be in a rightful relationship with someone else is to know that that other person has a mind that can recognize the institution under which you guys are both interacting and also to um, that uh, has a will so that they're not determined by nature. And even if they really want to kill you, they won't do it because they can recognize you also have a will that will accommodate them. So there's mutually accommodation, mutual accommodation, um, the capacity for mutual accommodation. And that is not necessarily, you know, true of humans, right? Like children don't have that kind of will control. And like, you know, we take driver's licenses away from older people because they don't have that kind of control, right? Their will, either their mind or their motor coordination in the form of their will goes. So we can't trust them to respect passengers on the road. They might slip. So we take their driver's license Away. So it's about having a will that can overcome natural infirmities and desires in order to respect other people, but also having a mind that can recognize institutions that deserve respect. All right, so you need those two qualities. Have nothing to do with nature. Nothing to do with nature. In fact, like insofar as we have a nature, um, it's only been like it's a precondition for right. Like we've evolved such that we are free. We're not. Um, so humans as it stands happens to be the case. The normal development of humans as they stand happen to be the case where we can be, become responsible adults. But, it's not ne but that's not necessary. And like I said, like all the time, there are a lot of degenerative diseases that take away your capacity to will correctly or to be able to will freely. Right? Um, so human rights is already a dicey uh, proposition, but what we have are institutions that, of right that depend on the cultivation of will and mind that can actually participate in these institutions. Right? And one of them is education. Uh, we, we don't educate you because you're human. We educate you because you're on your way to being free. And you need to participate in these particular social institutions. Now, this is important because human rights are often used as a cudgel against foreign governments. Um, when really what we have a problem with is their social and political institutions. Right? So we need to think about what freedom looks like and how it's realized through social and political institutions. Not as a matter of human rights, but as a matter of the rights of a citizen, as a rights of a civilian. Like South Korea or North Korea is not going to have a problem with human rights violations. It's going to have a problem with their uh, social, civil rights. And it's going to have a problem with political rights. Right? It's not, the, the political forms and the, the social forms are not going to realize institutions of right in the way they should. Black people, we don't have human rights problems. We have political and, and, and social rights problems. Um, and that's going to be the issue, and that's where we fight the train. And this is important, and how, what does this have to do with uh, Trump's COVID diagnosis? See, a lot of people talking about co Trump's COVID diagnosis a little bit as if it's any of our business. Like, the only reason 
unless it has to do with how he can do his job, it really is none of our business. Unless it has to do with, unless he has complications such that he cannot fulfill his duties, then it becomes our business and, and, and immediately. But just having a, a diagnosis of COVID um, with the understanding that like he can take all his meetings in Zoom, you know, whatever, in quarantine in the White House, like that's none of our business. We should not glory in it. It's really, and you should not say, well, he should have told us. No, I mean, I guess it's good that he told us. There was a president, I want to say it was Woodrow Wilson, but someone out there in, in Google is going to have to, going to have to uh, double check me. I think he stroked out <laughs> and his wife was govern doing a little bit of governing um, on his behalf. There's something very Cold War Russia about how that went down. But for the most part, Unless it, like his diagnosis is his business. Unless, unless it has to do, unless it was the kind of disease where it incapacitated his will. Now, if he were, like, say, in hock, a few hundred million dollars to a Russian billionaire, that is our business because that's the kind of thing that could, that's a conflict of interest that could incapacitate our will. Like, if he, if he owed money to people that we, like, have political um alliances with or like even a politically antagonistic relationship with that's more but so like i think obama getting 400 to 600 thousand dollars of speech is more of a conflict of interest and more of the public's business and something we should be much more ashamed about uh than than trump getting COVID. so like the stuff like emoluments and stuff like that's when Obama's speeches, that means, okay, so if Obama's getting a half million dollars of speech, that means he knew while he was governing that his after work would look like this. Which means that there's very, every reason to believe that he governed with an eye towards the after work. Like, and I mean, he even made a joke about it at the correspondence dinner about how he's tailoring his speeches to, uh, to, to Goldman Sachs. For after he was done. And, you know, we, like other people laughed. I didn't because I knew that Negro was telling the truth. And he was governing with an eye towards his after governing payday. And he got his after governing payday. So I don't know. His. Like our vote was to make him rich. Like that's all we did for that guy. Anyway, but so that should concern us because that's actually a problem with his institutional responsibility. Is he accountable to us or is he accountable to his bank account? Um, I mean, that's actually a good, ah, I might have to write some notes and maybe think of a paper about that because we have all of these uh, conflict of interest agreements based on what you've done in the prior and your current business dealings, not like futures. But that's what was going on. I mean, in 2010, he was looking at his 2020 payday. And his 2020 payday is, you know, pretty good. I mean, he's got a $15 million man, um, uh, mansion. So I don't know. We got to think about that in terms of what really constitutes a conflict of interest. So the problem with human rights is that they take their eye off the political and social institutions that through which um, our wills are recognized and, and, uh, and, and our freedom is realized and put it on nature, like our nature, right? So when we critique, like, um, uh, we critique problems in society, we should do them in terms of social institutions, 
not in terms of like human rights because nothing like nature doesn't owe you any right it's not going to recognize your will institutions are supposed to insofar as they're institutions of right and they can be critiqued nature can't be critiqued nature's going to do what nature does institutions can be critiqued insofar as they either promote or degrade this reciprocal arrangement that um that allows for the mutual realization of freedom through institutional reactions, either immediately or mediated. Now, people say like, well, what about like things like healthcare? Well, healthcare works like school lunch, right? So you have this right to education. And then we had, we were fulfilling this right to education. We realized that students don't really teach very, uh, don't really learn very well when they are hungry. They can't pay attention. So we ended up thinking like, all right, so we should universalize a scheme where we can um, uh, feed people, right? So you have a right to education, but as an enabling condition for your right to education, we need to make sure that you're fed. So it's not a right proper, it's just an enabling condition. You could, the, problem, it's not, the problem is, whereas education takes your willing participation, eating really doesn't. So you... Um, like, like eating isn't, children don't have a right to food. They have a right to free exercise within institutions. And many of those free exercise inst institutions requires that they have like, you know, they're not distracted by food. So um, that's where the right to food comes from. And that's what it's like with healthcare. So you could fall, it's like, we don't have a right to healthcare because we're living and breathing. We have a right to healthcare because in order to participate as civilians and citizens, we need to actually be um, healthy. To have our will be free and our minds working, we need to be healthy, right? So if you're going to argue for healthcare, don't argue it from, from uh, the point of view of, of, of the species. Argue it from the point of view of freedom, the freedom you need in order to... Um, you know, have a knowing mind and a realizable will. And that's how we argue for a universal, um, that's how you should argue for a universal, uh, you know, child lunches. And that's why it comes, those child lunches don't come out of the Department of Agriculture budget. They come out of the Department of Education budget because the lunch is a means to being able for you to actually free your will from your gut in order to participate willfully in school, like and thoughtfully in school. But, so um, those are the right ways to argue for policies as um, fulfilling your role within an institution of freedom. I guess I could talk about institutions of freedom later, but I, I, I feel like that's enough for now. There's a lot in this video. And if you like anything I'm saying, go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in $5.15 or $50 a month. Because honestly, nothing I'm telling you isn't something I don't and can't explain to a 14-year-old in a way that would help them in their lives. But the problem is, like, <laughs> uh, progressives like me don't control public education. Conservatives do. So instead, they're learning a crappier notion of what freedom entails. And uh, they think it's all choice. Conservatives and liberals. Like, liberals will tell you it's all choice. Choice, only, choice doesn't matter, right? I mean, choice is only one half of the game. You could be shot through with choices and all of those choices be crappy. It's like a vegetarian going into a, a meat restaurant where they get a choice between deer, steak, or chicken, or fish, right? Like it's a bunch of choices, but no freedom because none of the, the um, choices actually represent you, which is one of the 
profound failures in uh, liberal ideology. It's also why so many people feel alienated from both the 2016 election and the 2020 election, because they're going to go and they're going to actually choose their way into either voting for um, either Clinton or Trump or Biden and Trump. And it's going to feel crappy because neither of the uh, options actually reflect you. So you're actually going to choose your way into your alienation. That's not freedom. Um, so real freedom is going to have to, we're going to talk about the primary policy politics and, and real freedom entails like what is screwed up so that these people are the ones who get into the ballot. But that's not going to be the, the topic of this. I just wanted to tell you that Trump's COVID diagnosis is none of your business, really. It's none of your business. And it's a little bit gossipy if that's where you stake your politics on. And also um, that human rights are actually distracting because we should talk about institutions of freedom. Human is a natural characteristic. Rights involve wills and minds. And you put the two together to your own confusion. You need to talk about adequate and inadequate um, social and political structures that realize right within their social and political structure internally, not some sort of global human right. Because some humans don't have the capacity for rights and vegetables. All right, peace. You think that I should continue to do it because I'm giving you the quality of political knowledge and insight that will help you not squander your life and kind of rescue meaning from it. Then go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month, or make one enormous donations. I like the monthlies because it allows me to budget more and that'll help me, you know, with a marketing budget or getting better equipment that works all the time because a lot of, in a lot of ways, freedom means having equipment that works every time you turn it on. <laughs> and I want to be a free Negro. So um, if you like what I do, go to funkyacademic.com and contribute. Thanks often comes in the form of cash and the site takes credit cards. If you appreciate the work I do every week and